This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 91. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Way, how are you? Welcome. Today is a surprisingly beautiful, sunny, leafy green day here in Zurich, Switzerland. And we're going to talk about incentives. It's something I've been thinking about for quite a while because I keep observing people and companies saying the things they, that, you know, what they want is one thing, but then doing stuff that encourages completely different things and it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. I don't understand. And I think it's one of these things where, you know, when you have a strength and you think, why the hell doesn't anybody everybody understand how this works and you know what the truth is not everybody else sees sees what's going on probably i don't know how many people actually understand incentives intuitively i'm not sure so today we're going to talk about that so please pay special attention if you're a leader a teacher parent or some other person who works with people because this happens all the time, right? And it, what happens is if you don't understand how incentives work, you will never get people to even remotely, com- you know, kind of go along with what you're trying to do. And it would always be tedious to work with people. So pay special attention if you're in one of those roles. If not, Maybe just pay attention anyway, because they play out in your life as well. The more you understand the forces that make one behavior more likely than another, the more you can accomplish with less energy. That's also it. We waste so much energy because we're just being dumb about how we talk to each other. You can tell I'm passionate about this. So let's look at the basics. So everything we do contributes to a certain environment which favors certain events and yeah it just makes some events more likely than others what do i mean by this all right so for example when we walk into an office where nobody ever talks it can be a great place to get focused work done however if the team requires people to collaborate to do their best work, the icy silence is suddenly a problem because people are much less likely to challenge the norm, which is the silence. And that means that someone who is actually the leader of this team, they have several options, right? So I'm going to outline two. Number one, and sadly the more common strategy, is the leader just encourages people to collaborate more. They will just um, maybe lecture them or, or you know, if, it's, if things are bad, even threaten them. And it's unlikely to have a lasting effect. It is simply too uncomfortable for people to break the silence again and again. So what's the incentive strategy? What's the strategy that people use who understand how incentives work? Well, modeling the desired behavior themselves by talking and showing that it's okay and rewarding people who actually collaborate and dare to break the silence with active active encouragement or nonverbal positive messaging. 
doing both of these things consistently communicates to everyone that it's not just okay to break the silence, but that it's actually appreciated. Don't forget, absolutely everything we do or do not do makes some things more likely than others. And again, I want to reiterate, a silent workplace is not a bad thing. In fact, I'm one of those people, I don't like when everybody's yakking all the time, especially when they're talking about work all the time, because I like silence when I work. However, that's why I have earphones, so they can talk and I'm not bothered. But if people keep talking to me uh, for no good reason, and I'm in the middle of something, I don't like it, especially if they want to talk to me about work. Which is weird, right? So we must understand the costs, both obvious and hidden, of rules and requests that we make of others. So breaking norms, all right? People tend to stick to norms. Whenever we ask people to deviate from what is known and socially approved, most people just feel uncomfortable and try to avoid that. Another important thing is lack of convenience. If there are simpler, faster solutions, it's hard to keep people on track. And we see this really everywhere in life. For example, with traffic, right? So if there's a shortcut, usually people just take it, even if it's maybe not, you know, strictly legal or whatever. And if you're smart, like, for example, the Danish city of Copenhagen, when they laid out their bicycle paths, You know, the normal thing to do in this situation is to have, like, some very educated urban planner figure all these things out and then heavily fine and punish everybody who doesn't follow the bicycle tracks. And that's what some way, you know, a lot of places in the world decide to operate like that. But in Denmark, they were just like, you know what, let's just have tentative bicycle paths and see where people are going. Why? Because people choose the most efficient way to get go somewhere. And if everybody takes one path, chances are it's the fastest or the most scenic or whatever. And that's what they did in Denmark. And then they didn't have to find people anymore because they had no reason to break the laws. Once they had the official bicycle tracks, there was no reason. So we should take that example and apply it to our own lives. Relationships, another great example. In what position does this ask put someone in relation to their peers and other important people? So whenever you want something from people, what position does this put the other person in? So yes, we can use our power and make jerk requests of other people, but the more we consider how something affects their relationships, the more likely we are to figure out a solution that works for both. And you know what? If we do this, if we, and I mean we, I also have to work on this all the time. If we do more of this, we actually can cut all the crap where we have to monitor and punish each other all the time. Because you know what? If people actually do things where they see the other person is considered, they have no need you know, right? If we if we have the patience to go for win-win solutions, why on earth would you break the agreements? There's there's just very little reason to do so. Autonomy is another important factor. Does this thing that I want reduce the autonomy of the person in question? And if it does, 
can we somehow make sure that it doesn't? And if it absolutely has to, how can we compensate the person for that? Because for whatever reason, it's important for people for to be internally motivated, to to have self-respect, to have a certain freedom. You know, if we're treated like three-year-olds who cannot, you know, tie their shoelaces, that's just not something that sits well with grown-ass people. And we have to take that into account. And if we don't, we pay the price, right? The other one is competence. Does this question people's competence in their own eyes or in the eyes of others? Does this question how everything has been done before? Did the person have the opportunity to contribute their expertise? And this is huge at the workplace. I see this all the time. Managers have meetings over meetings over meetings over meetings. And you're just sitting there being like, really? <laughs> you're basically discarding everything that ever worked for some crap new way of doing things that is completely uninformed. And then you tell me that I'm afraid to change. Are you serious? And again, it's not this whole like us against them and stuff. We can avoid that if we are the person who has more power and we actually think about what's what other competence do the people have that I'm in charge of and how can I really make sure that they can contribute this competence that's not something we just do from the goodness of our hearts although that would be an awesome reason and I wish that was that you know a sufficient reason to do this but it's not all right but it's good business sense to do that because you would just spend so much less time running after people if you bother if you bother to take these questions into account. So whenever we ask people to do things that go against the norm, that are inconvenient, that put them in awkward situations, threaten autonomy, and negate existing expertise, we stack the, get the deck against them and also against us. Goals exist in relationship to each other. We have to make sure they don't cancel each other out. Like children, People are much less likely to follow what is said and much more likely to follow what is modeled, all right? So when it comes to work, one thing I hear about a lot is innovation, all right? So innovation is a big topic. So what is said is things like innovate or die, right? What gets measured, on the other hand, is number of cases closed, overtime worked, Number of emails responded to. Consequences. Guess what? By optimizing all these quantitative things, which have absolutely nothing to do with innovation, creativity becomes the rare exception instead of the norm. Now, that's fine if you have a team that's supposed to just close their cases as fast as possible. You don't need innovation. All right, fine. Be honest about it. Don't in job adverts say like, oh, we need you to be blah, blah, blah. No, all right? You just want to close cases. That's what you want to do. But if you sincerely need people to be innovative and creative, you have to give them space to be that. And if they're measured on something completely different that has nothing to do with creativity, then how do you expect people to even be able to follow through with their with your request even if you want even if they want to that's the most important thing even if they want to how could they so obviously i can't just rant about 
how not to do it. So how can we make it normal for everyone to innovate and therefore remove the social norm of keeping our heads down? How can we make it easy for innovation to happen? Set time and money aside for just that. Educate people in creativity skills and everything that cons- and design skills and whatever they need, whatever skills they need to be able to come forth with that innovation. Make it clear that learning and experimentation are at the core act- of the activity. So that means that if people fail, they shouldn't be punished because if they're punished, everybody else sees, oops, if I fail, so I therefore shall not make any suggestions because if I don't suggest anything, I cannot fail. And that's how people think. And that's what apparently trips a lot of managers up that they don't understand this, right? So I understand that this sounds like a lot of work. And sometimes even if we ask the right question, it's sometimes hard to get it right. But if you're even aware of these ideas, you're already so much better off than people who blindly demand things from their employees and then scratch their heads when it falls on deaf ears. Also, you don't even have to figure out these questions by yourself if you're a manager. They can be subject, uh, you know, the subject of a team meeting. If you hired people with a brain, they will be happy to use it, provided that it's safe and they will not be criticized, mocked, or otherwise discouraged from contributing what they have to say. Another topic is leadership. What is said is that it's important to develop the leaders of tomorrow. What is done is that these leaders of tomorrow are often buried under a pile of work and the pressure they are put under. They run from meeting to meeting and scramble to manage their deadlines. And if they don't do more work, you know, if they, no, sorry, if they actually manage to do all this, more work is just added until, you know, they are just running around being firefighters. Now, there's some people, and some of them are super successful, who say, you know what, that's what I do. I'm the CEO and I'm constantly putting out fires. Fine. Fair enough. However, if you think of leadership, something where you actually have the ability to come up with goals and visions that are worth it and making sure that your people can follow through with that, you cannot do that if you're constantly operating in an emergency mode. All right. So unless you're maybe incredibly gifted, like some dude like Gary Vaynerchuk or something, but if that's not you, you probably need a little bit of time to actually engage with your employees, to see where they're at, to understand how you can help them grow and all of that. And if you're constantly working on the operation side of, th- of the operational side of things, that's not going to happen. So the consequences of this is that a vital component of leadership vision and a concern for healthy long-term goals and growth gets swept away and replaced by a concern to keep things going. And there is no time for actually leading people, freeing them to work, freeing them up time so they can work on the important 
and not necessarily just the urgent because just because something is urgent doesn't mean it's important. And that's something that leaders have to understand. And if they can help their workers understand that their company is just going to be so much better off than when everybody's constantly stressed out running around like, you know, headless chickens. Again, the same with incentives. How can we make it normal for leaders to develop their leadership skills and have trust-building conversations with their employees? How can we make it easy for them? How can we make use of existing relationships to further this goal? How can we give the emerging leaders the freedom they need to grow? How can we encourage them to contribute and build on their existing skills? You see, we don't have the time to ask ourselves these questions if all we do is like talking to some disgruntled customer or fixing some bug until, you know, the wee hours of the morning. It's important that people see actual follow through from their leaders. That means you can't have meetings to discuss these things and then implement none of it. Do it fully or don't do it at all. Because otherwise people will just learn that you cannot be trusted and they will not forget that. When it comes to knowledge, now know-how, people say we want competent people to work for us. What is often the reality? Well, competent folks have to fight fires and take on more and more projects because, let's face it, the other people are just not capable of doing all of these things. They have no time to develop their own skills, to use it in interesting ways, and share it with others. And the last part is actually important because if you have superstars and you just have one superstar and they remain the one superstar, you are not using the potential of that person because what you want to happen is that you create a culture of superstars where people learn from those people who are the best and they learn how to do these things in that same spirit. And that cannot happen if we swamp these people all the time and don't give them the time of day to actually develop the skills of their own skills further and those of their colleagues. Client service. We say we want to be the best at serving our clients. Again, what gets measured? Number of cases closed. Time spent on the phone the shorter the better, earnings per client. So by now you know the questions. So let's leave work and look at relationships because they're also important in terms of incentives. Trust. What is said? You can tell me anything. It's important to be open. How often do we hear people say things like that? What is done? We're snappy or we start fighting immediately if people, you know, say things we don't like. And the consequence is that seeing the truth is harder than lying. And whenever we make it easier for other people to lie than to be honest to us, we have to expect a life full of lying people. If we practice the following 
things people are safe enough to tell us the truth. Non-judgment, we don't immediately label them or their experience. Listening properly, we don't just wait until we can answer, we actually listen to what is said. Discretion, we don't tell other people about the secrets that others share with us. And also, if we're not sure and nobody said, oh, don't tell anyone, the more conservative we are, the better. And the least, the less interested we appear to learn about other people's innermost feelings. And I don't mean in terms of being like cool or indifferent, but I mean in terms of by not gossiping and all of that, the more people trust us. And I know this because that's been the case my whole life. That people would just tell me things and they wouldn't tell others who were dying to learn about those things. And they never told them because they were just constantly sharing that kind of information and they didn't want their information to be shared. We understand the difference between when something just needs to be shared and when people actually need advice. That's also an important one. More often than not, people just want to talk about what's going on and that's enough and if we start telling them what to do that is just not what is needed in that moment we don't pressure people to disclose more than they feel comfortable disclosing of course there are situations where a little shove can be a good thing but generally we have to respect what people are willing to share and what not Some overall questions to ask when it comes to incentives. So are the things that are measured and related at all what I say I want? Or do they hinder these things? Right? So so with other words, and this sounds weird because maybe you think, well, I'm not, I don't work in an office. I don't have employees. But sometimes we measure other things, right? We measure... I don't know, stupid example, like we measure love and how often he brings us flowers or whatever way you use to measure things. Does that actually measure the right thing? That's a very important question to ask. And if you measure one thing and it has nothing to do with what you say you want, well, then chances are these goals cancel each other out. What would someone act like who got the maximum points or whatever measurement is used, right? So if we say we want, um, what shall I say? We want someone to close the most cases. Sorry, it's a work example again, but still, all right? Bear with me. So if somebody who closes the most cases is actually someone who has the easiest cases because hard cases take longer to close. So that individual already has a reason, if they have any autonomy whatsoever, to just select cases that are easy and leave the hard ones for the other idiots, right? And it sounds harsh, but this is how these things work. So it's not enough for us to just sit sit there and be like, oh, the other person is a jerk. Well, no, actually, they are behaving exactly in line with what incentive we have put in front of them. What behavior or behaviors are rewarded? This is not just cash rewards or something. This is also rewards and smiles and hugs. 
compliments, in, in whatever, whatever you can think of. There are so many ways to reward a person. Is the right thing being rewarded? That's what you want to know. Are there any ways in which good behavior is punished? Sounds pessimistic, but you have to understand this. If you don't understand this and remove these obstacles, things are just not going to work out. How exactly is good behavior rewarded? Um, maybe it is rewarded, but it's like, hey, 20 pennies for each, I don't know, for each smile or something, like some stupid thing where it's just like, well, all right, I get a reward for something good, but it's just so much smaller than just doing the wrong thing or just doing the other thing that it's not worth it. Is there any follow-up to what people disclose to me? So do we implement good ideas? And that's also something, for example, I ask you guys to get in touch with me and to let me know if there are any episodes that you want to talk about. Now, maybe one or two of you are sitting there like, well, you didn't do the episode that I wanted, and that's possible. But in general, you hear me doing episodes that some reader and uh, listener inspired in some way or the other every once in a while. And why? Well, if I, don't, if I just tell you do stuff for me, and then I don't react, I send the message that what you say to me is worthless and I'm going to ignore it. So why on earth would you make a suggestion? But now if you look at a couple of episodes, the last one, technology, that was a listener, for example, right? And, and that's how you know, oh, I actually take you guys seriously. Do you help foster good behavior? That's also an important one. Sometimes we are not in charge of a lot of things, right? But nevertheless, the way we, we react shapes how other people feel about the situation. So whenever, for example, I see someone doing something good in public, like giving up their seat for, you know, an older lady or someone who's pregnant or something like that, or if they hold open the door, um, if, even if they didn't have to, you know, maybe there are a couple strides ahead and, and every normal person would have just have went, but they didn't. Little things like that, I try to make an effort to reward those with a smile or sometimes even just say like, hey, I like how you did that. I, I, it, gives, it gives me hope that there are people like you. And it's such a small thing to do. And I, I constantly forget that I do these things. But then people sometimes mention these things like five years later, you know. Um, so we influence how we treat each other. So let's encourage the good behavior instead of screaming all the time about everything that's wrong and do you make it easy for people around you to be good to you and to others so what's this whole long rant about well our behaviors encourage things if we're conscious of them or not they also discourage other things and by understanding what kind of incentives are at play and how they influence the people around you, you make it easier for people to act in ways which everybody wins. Even a little awareness of social norms, convenience, relationships, 
autonomy, competence, can help you align your goals with those of other people. So now we get to the reviews. And reviews are actually great and free way to support the podcast and other authors you love. All right. I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about everyone here. Now, special kudos to those of you who write a review in an iTunes store where nobody else has written one. Like, for example, in New Zealand or Ireland, I think we don't have reviews from those countries yet. And their incentives are at play. Because the first person to write a review, the first two or three of them actually, they will just stand out very prominently before everybody else decides, oh, hey, I can do this, right? So the price to write a review in one of those countries in terms of social norms is actually higher than if you do it in the States because there there are a couple more reviews already. So yours is not going to be like standing out and people are not going to virtually stare at your opinion. So breaking the social norm is scary and i talked about this so that's why i'm acknowledging it now so thank you especially for everyone who takes the plunge to do just that writing a review is easy it brings you into a growing community of podcast fans and that's also something i would want to talk about i don't talk about that too often but I feel very strongly about the medium of podcasting, not just my podcast, but I love podcasts with all my heart. I've listened to them for for over 10 years now, and I think it's a very special and authentic medium. I think it's a medium where, you know, where else in life could, could someone like me be ahead of a big broadcasting company, for example, but with podcasts, that's still possible. And I love that. And I hope you appreciate and love that too. So writing reviews, and again, I'm not just talking about me, about especially podcasts. Maybe you listen to podcasts by people who have done it for less time and they are less you know, publicly known or something. And whenever you do that, you know, you don't just make my day or the podcaster's day. You just help other people to discover something that just makes their mornings better and maybe even their mental health or makes them laugh in a time when everything else seems hard. And and that's worth a lot. So here are two reviews. One is from Pekka from Switzerland. And that's always kind of funny for me because I never know if I know the person. Or not. Well, not never. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. So here we go. I'm a big fan of positive psychology. It takes up so many subjects, have hitherto, whoa, belong to the domains of philosophy, religion, and personal behavior. The good thing? Much in positive psychology is done on a scientific basis. Quantitative methods at hand. The podcast will give you an excellent introduction into the subject, so I can recommend it. Start with the archive. If you don't like an episode, just skip over it. Concentrate on the little diamonds in the next episodes because you will find many, many of these great stuff. Thanks a lot, Pekka, for encouraging uh, the scientifically interested to check out this podcast. And can I just state how much I love podcast listeners like you who go through the archives? I mean, I love all my podcast listeners, but there's a special dedication when people are just like, 
I'm going through it all. And I think that's amazing. And I feel super honored. Why? Because there's so much else you could be doing with your time. And yeah, I I don't know this for sure. But I think podcasts are the medium where people dive in the deepest. Meaning that I don't think a lot of people write read every blog post from a website, for example. Or watch every YouTube video ever. But with podcasts, there are actually people who go through and, you know, they're up to date with all episodes. And I think that's amazing. though. So thank you very much, Pekka, and everyone who's like you. Then there's one from Katy Shoro. And it says, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Well, no, actually, the expialidocious is not in there. But that's the title of the review, supercalifragilistic. I'm incredibly grateful for the positive state that this podcast and Kristen promote in every session. It is engaging, full of interesting and helpful information, and very often completely surprising. This podcast is truly a gift to the world. Thank you. Thank you, Katik Shuru. Sorry if I butchered that. I hope not. And I'm delighted of how active and sweet the Romanian gang are. And connecting with me and and commenting, I mean, wow, (laughs) it's not, it's, it's so delightful because, you know, there are some other countries where I'm like, well, of course, because I know people there like in Switzerland and, and they give it to their friends and they give it to their friends, but I am not sure why this is so popular in Romania. I don't care. I love it. And the fact that you don't just listen, but comment, ah, thank you so much. Alright, so people have said to me something like this. Oh, I checked out the Way of Life app or the Balanced app or Strides or whatever app it was. And it completely helped me to keep up with my habits and stuff. And people are always really happy when they tell me this. So I thought, alright, you know what? Let's put together a little PDF where... I just collect all the apps that I use to uphold my various habits that are somewhat related to happiness and meaning and happy habits and that kind of stuff. And you can get that, including all the PDF, you know, the links and everything and a little description of what what is at strengthsphoenix.com and then you have these different buttons so either before you leave it will have you'll have a little pop-up where you can just put in your email address and get it or you can just press on buttons which say get some all right yeah naughty hey and um and then just put it in there and you can immediately download the file and then get going and just i recommend that you use those which you think sound promising and um just let me know how it goes. All right. So in the next, yeah, well, I'm not sure if it's the next episode, but you can definitely expect something about spirituality for atheists will come your way soon. And um, yeah, I'm working on some other stuff too. So talk to you soon. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast.
We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.